Ladies and gentlemen, week three is in the books. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing because, golly, it was a fun week three. I enjoyed everything about it. I'm already thirsting for week four. NFL's on, and I don't really care. I'm just – I don't – college football is so much fun. It's got all my attention. Scott Roussel, joined by college football experts Zach Barnett, John Bryce. Did you guys enjoy week three as much as I did? Because I was off the charts. I don't know if I'd enjoyed it more than you because I don't know if it was possible. I, if I was – you were about 105, and I was probably 104. So I enjoyed it a lot. I don't know if I'd enjoyed it more than you. Yeah, it was um, it was a great weekend going all the way back to Friday night and uh, staying up late and our group Slack uh, channel being active talking about – Florida State, Louisville. So I think it was just a much better weekend than any of us imagined. Like we knew college football captivates us every weekend, but we didn't know what would captivate us this weekend. And there were just some of those uh, crazy town games that got to us. For those who regularly listen to the podcast, you knew we were talking about some great potential uh, underdog scenarios, some upsets. You know, we talked about South Alabama, like, Really, really, really having a shot at UCLA. We were talking about how Kansas is playing up. Tulane might shock K-State. Uh, we talked about UVA had to get this win over Old Dominion. Old Dominion didn't, you know, put the crown on and, and claim their state champs and all that stuff. Uh, we knew it was going to be an epic week, and it was. And the big games delivered. Georgia, let's start there. And, and guys, I want to run through these quick because I think everybody saw some of the biggest games. Let's get to some of the more fun ones. Georgia just looks fantastic. I don't know what else to say about them. No, I mean, at this point, I, I know it's September, but they clearly are the best team in the country. And they're, yeah. I, I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's unfair to, to start wondering if 2022 Georgia is better than 2021 Georgia because it seems more more dangerous, more complete than than last year's version. The offense looks so much scarier. Yeah, and I would just say, like, think about what they did on the road at South Carolina. And they had no Eric Gilbert yesterday. And um, he's obviously the splendidly talented tight end that's had a few travels already in his young career. And my understanding is that is uh, due to a personal health, a personal issue as to why he was there. I know Georgia issued a statement on it. It's a it's a weird situation. But but I mean, Eric Gilbert is an NFL talent. I'm not saying he'll be an NFL player, but he's an NFL talent. And Georgia just said, no big deal. We're still going to completely pound South Carolina into submission. And as someone pointed out to me last night, it isn't just how much that Georgia beat South Carolina yesterday. It's how Georgia beat South Carolina so badly it will last with South Carolina for a while. And I don't disagree with that at all. Brock Bowers is incredibly fun to watch in Georgia. Uh, Moving on, Alabama just you know, Alabama did what they did to Louisiana Monroe. Ohio State took care of things. Michigan handled UConn just like we all knew they would. Clemson, La Tech, really interesting story in Nuggets about uh, about that game. I encourage you to read Nuggets each and every Sunday, Monday of the season. Nebraska, I picked Nebraska to come out and have a little fight and kind of shock them. And after that first drive, I was like, ah, I feel pretty good here. And then everything changed, and I didn't want to watch anymore. Um, Nebraska. I think Nebraska is going to make a change in defensive coordinator and um, they're going to try and do something, but there's Nebraska. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I I talked Sunday about how, if you're Mickey Joseph, you go in there and be like, guys, what we put out in our first three games was not us. This is a chance to go rewrite the script and 
we got fresh fresh powder in front of us. Nine games. Let's go make something of this. And I mean, if you're honest, you walk in that locker room after the game, guys. We, we're just not very good. We're just not a good team. Don't say it, like that, but yes. Yeah. I mean, the good news is we we played that Northwestern game early, so we're one game closer to ending this misery than everyone else is. Well, what, what I would say is wasn't the chance to be competitive and the opportunity to potentially win a game why Nebraska and Trev Alberts literally struck a match to $7.5 million as it pertained to firing Scott Frost. Nothing about yesterday's game looked like the $7.5 million uh, sacrifice that Nebraska has made. There's two more weeks. Maybe they win those two games and get rolling, and you say, okay, this is why they did it. And I've had so many college people ask me, did Nebraska no- negotiate down? Why didn't they do this? Well, they did it, and, and we've debated the, both sides of it, but they did it to give the kids a chance, to give the rest of that coaching staff a chance. Nothing about Saturday's performance looked like it was worth it. The first week of a is a $2.5 million sacrifice. That didn't look like it. Hold on, though. The, there were reports of, against Georgia Southern that I think students or some sort of fans were chanting fire frost. So I can't imagine how ugly that scene would have been at Memorial Stadium if they were getting housed like that and Frost was still coaching the team. At least at that point, you've told your fans, like, hey, we get it. We're moving on. If Frost was coaching and you were getting beat by 40 by your oldest rival, uh, it would have been so ugly. Have you ever seen $2.5 million burning, Zach? Because I haven't. Is that uglier than what booing would have been? They they signed a $10 billion TV deal. Nebraska will be fine. I hear you on all on all counts, but yeah, I ain't burning seven and a half million dollars. Thank you. I'm with JB on that one. So USC, <laughs> uh, USC looked really good. I don't know when you dive into that one right now. Oklahoma State handled everything. Kentucky stretched their legs, took care of Youngstown State. Bobby Petrino, I think we all, you know, Zach Rode and Nuggets, I don't know if we saw this coming. I think we all did see this coming. Bobby Petrino was going to load up and give it everything he got, and they played a really good football game. At some point, the horses just showed up and, and just won the race. That's the way I see that game. And I think it was a good game for everybody. Yeah, I thought the uh, the best thing, and I tuned into Sam Pittman's press conference post game yesterday. I love this comment. He said, you know, I can't say that they were the better team because our team won. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to take that away from our guys. But I'll tell you what, Bobby Petrino was the better coach because I got out coached today and I've got to do a better job. I love the message that that sends. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I've ever, since he became a head coach, heard Sam Pittman with, with a misstep in a press conference. But that one yesterday I thought was one of the best things I've heard from a coach in a really long time. Yeah, great point. Yeah, I think uh, if you told me you know Missouri State goes in and takes a lead, wouldn't have been surprised. Obviously, Petrino can scheme with anybody, but seventeen nothing, and then twenty seven seventeen in the fourth quarter, like you, it took Arkansas a lot longer to wake up than than I expected them to. Washington played as well as I thought they were. Um, that's that's a big win for that program. It just is, you know. Um, there was a lot of excitement. It felt good in Husky Stadium for the first time in a really long time, in my opinion. I yeah, awesome. I, I mean, I think the fact that this game was on, it wasn't after dark. It was on ABC in the, you know, nighttime window. Like, it, it, it everything went as it should for, it was easy. I, I guess it was not easy, but it, they didn't, there was no, yeah, but 
about it. They they went out there in a big game, big atmosphere, and looked like the superior team against a top fifteen Michigan State team. And it shows, you know, what a what a difference that the right head coach and the right quarterback can make. So I'm very I feel very happy for everyone at Washington because it was a long time coming. Agreed. It was a good hire. Kalen DeBoer is a good football coach. Oregon shows up in a big way. Good for them. Good for Dan Landing and his squad. Uh, that's the type of game that just gives you traction and you build upon that and, and great things come in the future. So excited for the Ducks. Yeah. And it, uh, again, it was on Fox in the middle of the day. Like it, you, they, people didn't have to go out of their way to watch a Pac-12 team beat a really good uh, top 15 opponent. I had to note it was the first time since New Year's Day at the end of the 2000 season that the Pac-12 has beaten two non-conference top 15 teams in the same day. And wow. so it was a long time coming and great for Dan Lanning and all them to, to hit refresh on that Georgia game. You know, it wasn't fair to, to judge their performance uh, against Georgia. So the, if that's what Oregon's going to be the rest of the season, then the, they're going to have a great year. And I think Oregon led that game maybe 38 to seven. Yes. Deep into the third quarter. So that was, um, there's a lot of window dressing on that final score. That was a, a, a thoroughly dominating performance by the Ducks and they matched the physicality of BYU. We've all talked on this show, on, on this podcast, how much we admire and respect the physicality with which BYU plays mm-hmm. the game. Oregon was not physically ready um, in the opener against Georgia, but rose up and matched the physical challenge yesterday. Um, pretty ugly uh, student chant out of the uh, Oregon student section during the game yesterday that's been addressed um, online and, and even caused the Utah governor to weigh in. So um, that was a blemish on the game, but on the field, the Oregon Ducks look really, really good. I, I don't know if it's a respect thing or a disrespect thing, but I watched a lot of Texas A&M Miami. I a lot. I watched most of the game and it, it was just stunning to me, but what was it, like about a minute and a half left in the game. And, uh, Jimbo Fisher has a chance to play for the win, go get the first down, win the game, or he can just run the ball up the middle and say, I'm a punt because those dudes can't score a touchdown against me. And that's what he did. He ran the ball up the middle. No one was, it was a one-yard dive. Miami had to burn their final timeout. A&M punts. A&M's getting the ball with like a minute and a half. And you just knew there was no way Miami was going to move the ball. Just none. Miami's offense was atrocious. And when Miami actually got the ball to the red zone, it got worse. It got really worse. And then I'm like, man, Mario, go for a touchdown, dude. Quit calling field goal. But then I was like, yeah, but your offense hadn't moved the ball. Not at all in the red zone. I mean, I think they might have had not a yard in the red zone. It was horrible. Well, and and here's the thing, though. Um, he makes that move. You, I think you tweeted it last night, and, and I agreed with you and agreed with, with Jimbo and, and all of that. Put it on the shoulders of your defense. They've been staunch all day. Miami did move the ball a little bit, and I think across midfield, um, moving towards in Aggies territory, needing both a touchdown and a two-point conversion. So they would have had to almost truly double their offensive output to force overtime. But Van Dyke made a great throw. And if you watch on the fourth down play, I think fourth and five, the ball literally goes through the receiver's hands. He turns mm-hmm. around and does this and watches the ball literally go through his hands. And so um, they had some offensive issues, but I don't think it was – um, 
incompetence or lack of ability. It was a whole lot of lack of execution. And maybe that was being on uh, a big stage in a hostile environment amidst this transition for the first time all year. Although let's, let's be clear here. Miami's offense was pretty bad and they easily, they thoroughly outgained A&M. They got 27 first downs. They were. (laughs) So you're saying A&M's offense is not great. Yeah. And I mean, really, like if the the bounce if uh AM's first touchdown came on a muff punt and uh the AM recovered, AM muffed a punt and got it back. Flip those two things, Miami probably wins the game. And what are we talking about right now? We're talking about oh, it was ugly, but at least Miami won and what's going on with AM? Their offense, different quarterback, same problems. So the defense, they've given up 26 points in three games. Like defense, if you want to tell me it's a top five unit in the country, I, I won't argue you. But the offense, is it, it's going to be a slog for them this season. I didn't realize – I mean, now that you say that, it's kind of registering. I didn't realize A&M's defense had been that stout. Hmm, interesting. Utah handled San Diego State like we thought. Tennessee handled Akron just like we thought. NC State actually won a game that they needed to win. At home, you know, they should have won it, but they actually won it. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, tech program is probably not ready to go on the road to a hostile environment against a top 20 team and win that game. But uh, I, I think tech actually outgained NC State in the game, but NC State looked like the better team, at least in my eyes, throughout. Like they took the lead and they never gave it back. Baylor handled Texas State like they should. Florida's way more competitive with South Florida. Florida got the win, which is important for them. But South Florida was, you know, better than people thought, better than I thought. Yeah, and that was an interesting game because of uh, all the commonalities between those head coaches, between Coach Scott and Coach Napier, and Napier having the relationship uh, with Jeff Scott's dad as well. So there was a lot of mutual respect there. Florida had chances early to put it away. The Gators did not do so. Then they were really, really lucky to win late in the game. And it took USF having two, not one, but two blown snaps inside the final minute to 90 seconds to have Florida win that game in regulation and not need overtime, setting the stage for uh, ESPN and game day to be in Knoxville next Saturday on Rocky Top for a huge uh, top 20 clash to see who will be runner-up to Georgia in the SEC East. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I, I know Anthony Richardson was everybody's uh, week one Heisman winner and well-deserved. That was a great win over Utah, but he he has struggled a lot the last last two weeks. He's he's no touchdowns, still on throwing touchdown, no touchdowns, four interceptions, uh, something around, you know, the five or six yards per attempt numbers. Like, he, he looks like an inexperienced quarterback with a lot of natural talent that still has to, uh, some growing to do, and uh, – and we're going to get to this later in the week, but it, it looks like it's going to be a coronation uh, day for for Tennessee because Florida they're not as good as they played against Utah. They're they're not that good. Well, here's the thing, uh, and and as well as Florida did play against Utah to get that win, they let Utah run up and down the field on them defensively. Then we saw it in the second half last week as Kentucky was able to do, and we're saying, okay, well that's Utah and that's Kentucky. But then we saw it a whole lot Saturday night from South Florida. And I think um, if you're a Tennessee fan, um, you're licking your chops at that. If you're a Florida fan, you're really, really concerned, equally if not more so, about the defensive line and slowing down the run than you are with Anthony Richardson. Yeah. 
So we we spoke about Wake Forest Liberty having the potential to be quite a game, and it was. It was nuts. Yeah, that was. I didn't see that one coming. Uh, I think it was Zach who said it. Like, had this been a year ago with Malik Willis, it would have been a great game. Uh, props to Hugh Freeze. The guy can flat out coach them up. He coached up Liberty. They played loose. They played to win. I love the going for two there late in the game. I'm not convinced that would have been the decisive measure because I think there was still a minute and a half left. And, and the way that game was going, Wake Forest and Sam Hartman probably would have gone down with a chance to kick a game-winning field goal. But I love the way that he plays and coaches the game. Yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a great coach. There's no denying that. So Ole Miss handled Georgia Tech uh, stronger than I thought they would. I didn't expect a shutout. Good for them. Texas handled UTSA. Zach, give me some thoughts there real quick. I mean, my thought all along was a one-point win would be fantastic. So, I mean, the, they had that moment where it looked real bad with the, the touchdown drive, the onside kick, and then the, the trick play touchdown. And you've seen so many Longhorn teams found a way to, to lose games like that, most recently Kansas. And then from that moment on, it was 34-3. to and they dominated in the trenches on both sides of the ball. And UTSA just didn't have the dude. So, I, I thought I I think it's a fantastic win for for UT and far more impressive than they're going to get credit for. Yeah, and if I if I could just really quickly interject, I talked to somebody at Texas on Friday, um, and he point blank said, "Look, we're going to have to play really well to win this game. This is a well coached football team that plays the game the right way." So I think because of that, because of the fact that Texas went into this contact contest with so much healthy and genuine respect for UTSA. That's why we saw the Longhorns handle business. We talked about it being a culture win. Absolutely believe this is as big a statement for Texas right now as what it did a week ago against Alabama. Agree. So bold predictions. I went real bold, suggesting Auburn would have a far better season than anyone expected. Yeah. Thought they'd uh, actually thought they'd find a way to win this game against Penn State. I was wrong. <laughs> I don't think I don't think Brian Harson's getting that shoulder ride that you talked about. No. Scott, I mean, it might be a different ride out of the stadium, but it's not going to be a shoulder ride. That was you could lose that game if you're Brian Harson and Auburn, if you're competitive like you were a year ago in Happy Valley. You were not competitive at home with that kind of atmosphere. And I think Penn State played multiple quarterbacks and still rang up 41 points on Auburn. Just a disastrous, disastrous win down on the plains. And it does not spell uh, any sort of optimism for what rest down the road for the Tigers. I just didn't see Auburn's offense at all. I mean, I saw it. I just didn't. Nobody saw it. Nobody saw it. Pitt handled Western Michigan um, better than I thought they would, easier than I thought they would. Pitt's good. Leads me to believe. And, I mean, we picked Tennessee, and Tennessee found a way to win that game. I think Tennessee's good, y'all. I really Mm -hmm. do. I think they're a top 15 team. Tennessee's a good football team. Really good. And they're they're getting a lot of pressure with their defensive front. And Tim Banks, I'll say this. If you're a defender, you love playing in his defense because that guy might call more blitzes than anybody in college football right now. I mean, he is blitz heavy. All right, we got 10 minutes. I want to run through some games real quick. Syracuse-Purdue was ham with a side of ham, and it was was ridiculous fourth quarter. Did you guys get to see the fourth quarter? I saw the the highlights to know that Purdue absolutely let me down as the one man who stood on the football scoop island and picked the Boilermakers. And they had that game won despite having thrown a pick six, underhanded basket toss, 
square weave, whatever you want to call it. They still had that game one twenty nine to 25 and found a way to lose, but credit Syracuse for finding a way to win. Purdue didn't lose. Purdue didn't lose. I'm telling yeah. you, Syracuse, that last play was nuts because they weren't – Syracuse wasn't even doing great in that last little drive. But that last play, I couldn't believe that guy caught that ball. It was unbelievable. I've written twice about how good Syracuse has played this year, so I'm glad to see them go out and uh, prove me right. Miami of Ohio played well early. Cincinnati outlasted them. If anybody's got anything to say, say it. If not, I'm moving on. I'm moving on. West Virginia, I'm very glad, showed up and just handled Towson. Neil Brown needed that in a big way. He needs more. Uh, Coastal Carolina remains undefeated with a win over Buffalo. Good for them. South, I'm telling you guys, South had UCLA. They had it. They had it. It was tough. It was going to win the game. Yeah. Kane called a bizarre fake field goal that I'm not sure I understand. I'm not sure he understands it. I'm not sure anyone understands it. Like, what did you do? And then they lost. It was horrible. Anyway, good talk. You're always going to have a much better chance of gaining two yards with your offense than your field goal unit. But just kick the field goal. You'd been up five. I know. Whatever. (laughs) I know. Whatever. Uh, Virginia got old Dominion right at the end. Tony Elliott's team probably needed that. That's good. Mm -hmm. All right. Talk to me about Notre Dame Cal. Uh, Notre Dame found a little bit of an offensive identity, especially in the second half uh, with Drew Pine, got the screen game far more involved. And we saw the most competent offensive line play that we've seen out of Notre Dame through three games this season. But really, it was Al Golden and the Notre Dame defensive front that, that carried the Irish to this win. Notre Dame with six sacks and six additional quarterback pressures. They absolutely um, pounded Jack Plummer nearly into submission. Poor Jack Plummer. You think about this. This guy played for Purdue last year and played in Notre Dame Stadium. He was sacked three times. So in two years, he's been sacked nine times, hurried 12 times, and I think knocked down 16 times by the Notre Dame defense. That's a whole lot of reason to have uh, nightmares about angry leprechauns moving forward. I thought Cal looked like it's got some absolute dudes, and I give a lot of credit to Justin Wilcox and Peter Sermon, uh, two of the top coaches for the Golden Bears for the way that they had Cal playing, especially the way that the Cal defense did a lot of good things. Notre Dame was able to scheme them up a couple of times, slip some backs out of the backfield and get into the seam. No Notre Dame wideouts had any receptions downfield. Notre Dame only threw the ball over 10 yards three times in the game, Scott, as you give me the crazy eyes. Three passes attempted over 10 yards in the game. One completion to Chris Tyree, the running back on a 21-yard touchdown, 0 for 2 on the others. Um, it's still a slog for that Notre Dame offense, but it was a a very small leprechaun-sized step forward. Can I just interject a very random statement? There have been some outstanding mustaches in college football this year. Just a random thing you've seen that you're like, that's a horrible stash. That's an amazingly terrible stash. I love that atrocious stash that dude's wearing. I'm not going to name any names. Maybe we'll have a whole show on that later. Moving on, Tulane got a huge win at K-State. Good for uh, Willie Fritz. That's uh, I think that's Tulane's first road power five win in a decade plus, maybe. Good for them. Great win. I mean, K-State was getting you know some, some uh, dark horse Big 12 championship talk with uh, Adrian Martinez. So to go out there and, and, and win outright, the, the, great win, great win. 
Did anybody expect UNLV to nearly hang 60 on North Texas? Zach did. That's a bad, bad result for North Texas. I mean, I would agree. They were counting on winning this one because next week they got to go to Memphis. And uh, Memphis's quarterback is Seth Hennigan, who's from Denton. His dad's a coach at Powerhouse Ryan High School. So you know he'd probably like to go out and drop, you know, four or five touchdowns on his hometown team. So now you're you're likely staring at a one and three non-conference schedule in the face. So bad, bad loss. Bad loss. How about Minnesota just beating people up? They're a top 25 team in the country right now. Like it's inexcusable that they're not in there. I know they haven't played a tough schedule, but they beat the dog out of Colorado, and I mean, they, they look fantastic. It was a joke, yeah. Yes. It's not very good for Colorado. Moving down the list, App State Troy happened. Man. I mean, the content out coming out of Boone has just been overflowing. It's been incredible. Um, tough, tough loss for what would have been something of a signature early win for John Sumrall and the Troy Trojans program, especially um, to lose in the manner in which um, that program did just not only on a Hail Mary, but a Hail Mary caught around the eight or nine yard line. And then he catches a block and scoots around in to get into the end zone and win. If I'm not mistaken, this was the anniversary, the 20 year anniversary of a great App State Furman game 20 years ago that I think Billy Napier might have been the quarterback for Furman. And um, Furman has a one-point lead and is going for two in the waning seconds to win the game, Zach. And App State intercepts the two-point conversion and runs it in and wins the game. So I'm pretty sure yesterday was the 20th anniversary of what's been dubbed the Miracle on the Mountain. So I guess this was the MOM Part 2. Well, I don't even know. I, I saw that. That's amazing. Thank you for bringing that up. But also, I don't even know if you can call this a miracle because Sean Clark said they practiced that that specific situation where the, the Hail Mary, where it's too far to get into the end zone, you do the, the volleyball tap or whatever you want to call it. And then at that point, you're just running a, a toss sweep, basically. He's got a lead blocker. Like they call yeah. it, they call that play Boise. And I'm, I'm not quite sure it's uh, really. Uh, a parallel to you know the, the the amazing miracle from Boise from that Fiesta Bowl, but I mean it worked to perfection, exactly like they drew it up. I, I really don't. I don't know if I just uh, was privileged to have an incredible coaching staff in high school or what. Because I'm not kidding you. We practiced that stuff when I was in high school, which feels like it was you know 30 years ago. I think it was 30 years ago. Maybe. Anyway, seriously, we practiced that exact. Pop it up in the air, and the guy on the side's kind of setting the block, and you're coming around. It was it worked to perfection. It was fantastic. It was so fun to watch. I was like, I did that. Long story. Good Your team was better coached than I was. Than mine my was. Team, my team was well coached, to be honest. Uh, okay, Houston gets done by Kansas in a big way. Lance Leipold, stand up. Basketball schools. Everybody's winning, Zach. Everybody's mm-hmm. winning. Can't, I'm furious that game day is not going to be in Lawrence. We got three and O Duke. At three and O Kansas, Maryland's three and O, Kentucky's three and O. Sorry, Mark Stoops for lumping you into these other basketball schools. Indiana's three and O, UCLA's three, <laughs> an ugly three and O. But I mean, Kansas, they're, they're they I was going through my head this morning if I was going to rank the Big Twelve teams. I have Kansas at six, and that might be too low. Like, you know, we we all think Houston's a good team. Texas Tech barely beat them at home, and then. 
Kansas goes to Houston, not that it's a difficult place to play, but they go to Houston and just stomp them. Like, they're good. They're not just Kansas good. They're good. They, they beat them so badly they had Houston players fighting one another on the sideline. And um, the only thing I would say about, Zach, your great reporting is that, bro, you need to stay in your lane. Just like Mark Stoops told John Calipari, stay in your lane with that basketball school talk. <laughs> I enjoyed that immensely. Uh, I just had to double check a score. Bowling Green beat Marshall. How did I even miss this? I think that um, obviously we know that Marshall had some chaos on its offensive staff, completely unexpected mid to late week. And also if you peek at the schedule a little bit, not making excuses for anybody and you got to credit Bowling Green, especially after having lost in seven overtimes last weekend to FCS Eastern Kentucky. But I bet you Marshall just got a little bit guilty of peeking ahead to App State next week and what a game that that would have been. And it will still be a great game, but it does take a, a little shine off those uh, green buffaloes. Uh, LSU's defensive line just beat Mississippi State's offensive <clears throat> I don't know how to explain that one any better. Because um, I didn't think LSU played exceptionally well. I didn't think Mississippi State played all that poorly other than – when LSU needed to stop, they got to stop. Uh, when when Mississippi State needed to to move two yards, one yard to get a first down, they couldn't. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we all kind of expected Mississippi State's offense to hit that well-oiled machine point at this. I mean, uh, Will Rogers has been there what his third year now, and they, they looked like it was game one for them. Like they they made Mississippi State look all sorts out of sync. Maryland SMU seemed to play the game we all thought they'd play. We all thought it'd be, yeah, I was thinking it was like 50 to 50, but you know, Maryland got the dub, seven point win, kind of where we thought it'd play out. Yeah. And uh, SMU quickly turns the page to uh, the biggest iron skillet game ever, as, uh, or at least in like 50 years, as TCU comes to town this week. And, and a big win for Loxley and company. You know, they were a bowl team a year ago. They bring Talia Tongavaloa back this year. A lot of uh, expectations for growth in that program. They had to get this 3-0 start. Here they are. Big congrats to Mike Bloomgren's squad. Uh, you know, winning at or versus UL um, snapped the nation's longest winning streak, right? Yeah, it had to end at some point. I did not see it ending at Rice Stadium. Oregon State is playing very well. Uh, New Mexico, I'm sorry, University of New Mexico beats UTEP. NDSU might have had a shot. They really had a shot. They had a really good shot, and then Arizona came back and won. I mean, we talk about program wins. That's a program win. Uh, if you went one and eleven last year to beat a team that goes out and wins a national championship every single year, program win. Great win for for Jed Fish. Agreed. Yep. I stayed up late on that one just um, because I might have been on an island, much like I was with Purdue. So at least, uh, I, you know, I drowned on one island and survived on one island with my Arizona pick. <laughs> Herm Edwards is not going to make it. I don't think I'm shocking anybody when I say that. Um, kudos to Eastern Michigan <laughs> social team. You play to win the game. And with that, the Football Scoop podcast is over. Thank you, football gods, for week three. Alcorn, if I'm not mistaken, if my statisticians did not lie to me, Alcorn is the first SWAC team to notch a win against McNeese State. Alcorn went on the road, beat McNeese 30-19, to really controlled that game. So shout out to Freddie Mac, Fred McNair, and the Braves, a big-time win. 
Shout out to Deion Sanders and Jackson State ahead only 24, 21 to 17 at halftime against Hugh Jackson and Grambling. Deion Sanders so mad as we wrote about, he could barely do his on-field interview. And all Jackson State did in the second half was outscore Grambling 45 to 7. So uh, Alcorn back on track, a big, big time win. And Jackson State doing things that we're not used to seeing in terms of dominance in the slack. It's good to have college football back, boys. Uh, football Scoop Podcast, like, share, review, tell your friends, all those good, fun things. Enjoy your Sunday, everybody. We'll be back. The site will be hot and kicking tomorrow morning. Things are happening. Nebraska's making a change. I'm letting you know. We'll talk soon. We're out.